0: and they didn't have enough time to get to it. So we'll, we'll take a little bit of time on that this morning uh, before we dive into the Gospels because I wanted us just to kind of see how far we've come. I don't know how much of that graphic you can see from there. It looks a little bit dimmer on the screen than it did on mine. But it has a breakdown of the books of the Bible by the different sections, and we kind of looked at something like this, something similar to this when we first started our series. And you can kind of see how it's got the five books of the law, the books of History, the books of poetry, and then the major and minor prophets there, and I do that just to kind of visualize where we're at. Um, I asked last week some questions along the lines of how would you, you know, summarize the, the story of the Old Testament in terms of just introducing somebody before reading the New Testament. If you jumped into the New Testament and studying it by itself, how would you summarize the story of the Old Testament? And then I think I asked that question and we never got back around to it. So I was going to see if anybody wanted to take a stab at that before we do our recap here in just a couple minutes. Before a couple minutes, I'll say that. Okay. So it brings us up to kind of, we're, we're going to hear about Jesus, but it kind of brings us up on the history of God's people before Jesus, from the creation of the earth all the way up until. Uh, redeeming the earth in the New Testament. So yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Well, the Old Testament is just like it is today. And everything that went wrong, God gave him a second chance. And He t- took plenty of time. Well, like building the, the ark. He could have built it in one day. Mm-hmm. But He gave him a hundred years to repent. So it, it demonstrates both God's grace and judgment, certainly. Certainly. Okay, I like that. All the stories of kind of the the different second chances and the different amounts of grace we have certainly needed over time. I wanted to look at just a couple verses to kind of summarize some of these big sections because I want to also take a little bit of time. So we're going to dive into the Gospels this week. We'll kind of get into the introduction. We won't get into the specifics probably of Matthew just yet. We'll probably just mostly get through our introduction to it. But I want us to... To kind of also refocus and just sort of restate the purpose of our class when we started. Uh, when we started this thing, it was I said it's understanding the Bible. And I said we're not going to read uh, every single chapter and verse of every book. But I want us to at least have a, a working understanding of each book. You know, I want us to be able to, if, some, if someone just brings you Deuteronomy and says, what's going on in Deuteronomy? Hopefully you can say, well, I kind of know this is happening. I know this is about to happen. And I know a little bit about the, the gist of it. Because to me, if if we know kind of where it fits in the big picture, sometimes it makes it easier to dive in and do the the verse by verse study or the hard study if you kind of know how it fits into into everything else. And so that's been kind of the goal. Uh, as I guess the way I framed it is to make it easier for us to study this on our own. The biggest thing I get from people when I talk about you know. So why you don't maybe read the Bible enough, and instead of the Bible enough? People always say, "Well, I, just, I, I don't know what a lot of it means. I don't know how it works. I don't know what it, if I study the Old Testament. I don't really know what it has to do with the parts that I do understand." And so, I hope this has strengthened your understanding in a lot of those areas. And our goal has been to establish just some basic, some basic principles on how to read, how to understand the different parts of the Bible. Yeah. No, but I do have a different handout. I'm gonna go see if I got printed off that I promised from Joe also two weeks ago. But yeah, I can print one of those off too. You want one of those? Yeah, I'll. Uh, I've got that. I print those off, and I'll just put in the little uh, one of those little flyers to the back. Let me get our see if our handouts printed off from last week. Before. I don't want to take too much time with this, so I'll leave these for right here. Uh, I'll probably put them to the back after class. But these were – I showed it on the screen a couple weeks ago, the outline of joke so I just thought it breaks it down really good. It has the different sections and the different parts of it. And I totally forgot about it last week. I can't believe none of you reminded me. But um, that's there. I'll put that back there. And yeah, I'll get a little graphic of those breakdowns. So we've got the law. And I had a passage I just wanted us to read from the law. I picked just a couple verses. Like I said, we won't take a ton of time with this, but just to sort of give us, remind us of some of the big ideas as we move into the New Testament. Someone could read for us Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. And as someone is turning there, we'll just talk about those books of the law. They give us the origin of God's people. They give us some of the first covenants. This idea of covenant comes from these laws, right? covenant with Noah, the covenant with Abraham, of course, the covenant with Moses, and then of course, the books of the law give us the giving of the law, but there's this key verse from Exodus 34, 6, 34, 6, and 7, where God describes himself, and it's very important, it gets referenced a lot, so if someone has that to go ahead and read for us, Exodus 34, verse 6, and 7. So just some quick context of that little verse. This is the conversation between God and Moses, where Moses goes and he uh, petitions on behalf of the people, and he says, show me your glory, and God says, well, you won't see me, but I'll pass by you, and I pass by you, then you shall know who I am. And when the Lord passes by, he gives us this phrase, the Lord, the Lord, uh, gracious, slow to anger, but by no means clearly guilty, visiting uh, the punishment of sin on third and fourth generation. And this quote gets used over and over in the Old Testament to describe kind of the nature of God in many ways, and I think it's a, a great example of how God reveals Himself through the giving of His law. Yeah, that He has expectations, He is slow to anger, but He is still uh, righteous in His judgment. So let me get on to these books of history: Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra-Nehemiah, Ezra-Nehemiah, and then Esther. And the books of history tell us. Uh, about the, the consequences of the unfolding of the covenant, the, the unfolding of the law, the application of the law as they come into the promised land. I would, I would kind of view this as the rise and fall of the kingdom of Israel and Judah because they come into the promised land. They, they take it in, in spite of some of the misgivings and the, the pitfalls along the way. They take it. They establish a kingdom. They establish uh, a foothold there, and that lasts for seemingly all of about 30 seconds before things begin to unravel. And so the, the books of the history kind of tell us about the—really, really, that's where we really dive into the specific kind of the history of God's people. We talk about the Old Testament as a story of God's people. The books of history, as you might imagine, are where the heart of that history is. Uh, someone could read for us Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. I think these are just some key verses that sort of remind us of the themes the ideas from these big sections of Scripture. Joshua 24, verse 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt, serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, will serve the Lord. Amen. So we probably know this passage before, right? Joshua says, yeah, you used to serve all these other gods. You used to worship all these pagan deities. You, you had these gods of your fathers, of your ancestors from across the river. But we're, we're coming into the promised land. We're coming into the land God has given us. We're coming into the holy land, into this, this land that is dedicated and consecrated for us and to God. And he says, choose whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so as we studied First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, these kind of these history books, we saw that when when the people followed the will of God, what happened? Things worked out. Things went well. Things went the way they were supposed to go when they didn't disobey God. Chaos. Violence, war, outbreak, their enemies overtook them. They had military failures. They had personal integrity failures. And so the, the main lesson we see from all these books, from Joshua all the way to Ezra and Nehemiah, is that says, For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose this day whom you will serve. So then we have the prophets. And we spent more time on the major prophets, because Van's been uh, doing a great series on Wednesday nights through the minor prophets And the prophets give us a little bit of a different perspective. Just remember timeline-wise, most of the – all the prophets kind of come from uh, this – mostly from this second half of these books of history, but they take place at the same time as those history books. And they give us a different perspective. They give us an idea of really what I would say the preaching that goes on during this time. Right? We call the prophets spokesperson. We call them mouthpieces for God. They delivered God's word to God's people. And so, to me, it's kind of like knowing the sermons or the preaching that went on at the time of these different events in Israel's history. And so it's just another perspective on the history of Israel and Judah. Um, and just a, just a note, again, on sort of the timeline. We have some, some of these are from when Israel was in captivity. And it also contains some of the only part of Scripture that was after the exile. So I, I meant to say this, but the, the major event in the books of the law is, of course, the exodus they flee Egypt. And then I would say the major event from the books of history, as we've talked about, is that is that Babylonian exile, where the people, they just kind of thought that as long as they were from the right bloodline, as long as they were Israelites, as long as they were Judaites, they were they were good. And for generations and generations, God says, no, repent or you will die. Repent or your enemies will be brought to your doorstep. And they don't. And so what happens? Well, they, they finally get destroyed and they get carried off and and we see this this fracturing of Israel's people. we talked about this. This is why it seems like the prophets kind of feel all over the place a little bit harder to follow, a little bit harder to read than maybe first and second Samuel first and second kings. because after the exile, we kind of have three groups. We have those groups that were uh, that stayed behind in Jerusalem. We have the groups that were hauled off to Babylon, and then we have much later the groups that came back, that remnant that returned and the rebuilding that happens. And so there's, there's all these different perspectives, and the prophets really do a good job of filling out a lot of those different perspectives on those events. Someone read for us Amos 5, verse 4 through 6. I think here Amos sums up a lot of the preaching that we see from the prophets right here. In Amos 5, verse 4 through 6. When we were studying names we talked about kind of the meanings of a lot of those proper names for the cities and the areas and how all those have stories attached to them and very important symbolic meanings but seek the lord and live the implication being if you do not seek the lord you will not live <laughs> if you do not seek the lord you will die you will be destroyed um i heard someone say that you know the, the books of the law are what god wants us to do the entire books of history or what happens if we don't do them and the prophets are just telling them, "Hey, do what God said," pointing back to the law, pointing back to that same message of obedience. And then I have one more I want us to read from the prophets that I think will, well, we'll do that last. I'll talk about the wisdom books a little bit because that's what we've spent our last few weeks doing: Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And I'll just read this one because it's found several times. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Originally from Proverbs nine ten, it gets referenced it loosely paraphrased in Psalm one eleven ten. Gets quoted directly from the Psalm in Job twenty eight twenty eight. So, the the main overarching theme as we study those wisdom books is we see well what is wisdom? Wisdom is found in the Lord. Wisdom, true wisdom is found in God. That there is yes, there is uh, reason and experience, and man can learn from our own mistakes. But at the end of the day, we are only going to have so flawed of a view of our reality unless we're in line with God. And so fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So those wisdom books were written mostly during the time of David and Solomon. That would fit in around First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. And so a lot of those come before the prophets chronologically, if you're trying to square all that in your head. But I had one more I wanted someone to read for us, because I think this will kind of link uh, the prophets. It'll kind of link up to what we've been talking about on Wednesdays, and it'll segue us nicely into the Gospels. Someone read for us Hosea 6, verse 6 and 7. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. So he says, you have transgressed the covenant, you have sinned, you have not obeyed me." But he says, go and learn, Jesus will quote this, and he will say, go and learn what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I want us to think about that a little bit as well. If you've been in our Wednesday night class, uh, a big thing from Hosea, and really, at least as I remember, a big thing from Amos. <clears throat> was this idea is that the people would give token worship to God. You know, they, would, they would come together on their ritual days and they would, they would give their feasts, they would even give their tithes, they would give their first fruits and they would sit there on the right days and they'd act like they really feared God and they obeyed God. But the rest of their life didn't line up with that at all. It didn't make any sense. Everything else they did had nothing to do with this and so this worship to God, and their service to God, even their gathering in the temple, kind of just became this this cultural thing that well, everybody just did, and you just kind of show up as you're supposed to, but the rest of their lives had nothing to do with actually obeying the will of God, and that idea of desire mercy, not sacrifice, uh, very closely tied to it, was I believe it was from Joel, uh, it might be Joel 2 two. but do quote me on that, Uh Rended hearts, not rendered garments, is what I desire. And the Lord says, you know, you, you come before me and you make a big show of your mourning for sin. You rend your garments, showing me how sad you are that you've sinned. Then you go out and do it again. Then you go right back to it as soon as the, the service is over, as soon as the feast is over. You go back and you go straight back to your sin. He says, no, 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 I want to see rended hearts. Tear your, break your hearts so that you will not be given to sin the way you have been. I love those passages from the prophets because I think sometimes we can see the Old Testament and think, "Wow, well, that just sounds like a world that looks nothing like our world. But I think if you start looking at some of the prophets, you'll see things that look a whole lot like what we see going on today. And so uh, Hosea 6, 6 and 7, of course, is something Jesus quotes in the Gospels. And so we'll kind of segue there, although I encourage you. Now, obviously, we'll continue to have Bible studies on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights for a long time, so I encourage you, if there's something that got missed, something you think we didn't spend enough time on, a book you'd like to hear more about, a topic you'd like to know more about, I encourage you to use the drop box or, or just message us or talk to us, but the, the little there's a little box back there that says Ask the Preacher, but you can, I guess for now, we'll accept opinions as well as questions for a little bit, we a little bit of uh, feedback on that, so, so we'll segue into the Gospels. One of my uh, favorite things that I did is we would begin new, new sections and new books of the Bible. So I would ask you guys, you know, how many lessons you ever hear in Ecclesiastes? Or how many lessons you have hear from Leviticus? I'm not going to ask everybody to tell me how many lessons you've heard from the Gospels. Because hopefully most. right? Probably most lessons you've heard touched on the Gospels in some way. What I, want, I do want you to think about in... Again, we'll introduce these today, so I might answer some questions. But what I want you to at least thinking about is what questions you might have, or maybe things you felt like didn't get answered about the gospels, things you've always wondered, things you maybe been scared to ask because they sounded too stupid, or things that sounded too out there. Uh, but any questions you have, feel free to sort of think of those, write those. But I'll give us a time to talk about those a little bit here at the end. But I I mentioned last week I want us to dive a little bit deeper into these than we have some of the other books because I'm going to assume we've all read these a little bit more than maybe we've read Ecclesiastes or Leviticus. I hope that's a safe assumption. I hope we at least know the major idea of the Gospels. I'll tell you Who wants to tell? What's the major idea of the Gospels? Jesus. Teaching about Jesus. All right. Okay. We're all here awake today. I'm glad. So, they all teach us about Jesus. Why is there four, then? There's only one Jesus. Okay. what she say? I didn't hear. Oh, she said four different perspectives? Written different audiences, for different purposes. Okay. So, Ben's got my notes. He knows where I'm going a little bit. Um, we see We see in, uh, in the Gospels that that they're, they're a little bit different. They paint a different perspective of Jesus. You might have noticed that the book of John especially seems to take a very different approach to Jesus. We'll talk about why that is uh, compared to the other three in a moment. Uh, since we're diving into the New Testament, we did this in the Old Testament. You probably know this. I'm sure you've seen this before, but I do want to talk about this just for a minute. Okay? Yeah, so uh, if, we, if we look at it, we can find evidence that it seems that – we'll just go ahead and say this since a couple of y'all mentioned it – that Matthew seems written to the Jews. Uh, Mark seems written to the Romans. Luke seems written to the Gentiles, to the outcasts, to the nations. And then John actually just tells us this is written to all those who would believe. And so we'll, uh, we'll talk about why that is. If you've maybe heard that before, we'll talk about why that is when we dive into our study. But I wanted to say this off the top. Just as the Old Testament is broken down into sections, the New Testament is broken down into sections. Uh, we have the four Gospels that tell us about Jesus, of course. We only have one book of history, and that is Acts. Um, we'll be preaching a little bit from Acts in our sermon today. And I've always joked that in the church, sometimes we see Acts as our book. You know, this is where the church began. This is where a lot of our patterns for what the church looks like comes from. And that is because, if you look at it here, we've got like 12 books of history. Well, in the New Testament, we just have one. Thankfully, it's very long. So we see a lot of the information about the church in the book of Acts. And then, of course, we have the letters to the churches, uh, Paul's letters to specific churches right here, and the ones that are called the general epistles. Those just means those are written either by people to all the churches, and those are kind of named after who wrote them. These are named to who they are written to. And I say that because you might remember when we were studying the Old Testament, I talked about how if you're going to study the prophets or you're going to study the books of history, you need to understand the law. Why? Well, because the people who the book of history is about, or the prophets who wrote the books of the prophets, they had the law. They had the law. They knew their audience knew the law. And and so both of them were operating on some assumptions that are based in the law. And so if you and I come and read them and we don't have the same information we have, it's not going to make sense to us. And so I say you have to understand the law first, then understand the history and the prophets. Same thing in here. If we jump into a study of Second Corinthians or 1 Timothy or Titus or Jude, I'm not saying it can't be productive. It will be. But if you don't have a knowledge of the Gospels, if you don't have a working knowledge of Jesus, those letters are not going to make any sense to you. <laughs> it is so if we didn't read that, the book of Acts, we'd never know how the apostles wrote all of those letters. And that's a good point. Yeah, we can look through the book of Acts, and we can kind of point to certain areas where we see, oh, this, Not, is, this is where he wrote uh, the, the, the letter to Cor- the Corinthians. This is where he wrote the letter to Thessalonians. So yeah, that's a good point. If we, if we don't read about how the church was formed and some of the issues that were going on in the church at that time period, the letters kind of lack context. And so uh, it's important to have this, this level of understanding. And I've even told people… Um, If you're dealing with two passages and you're struggling to understand the context, I always read the letters in light of the Gospels. That means if you're reading something that seems confusing or – I say that because sometimes people will come to conclusions in in Corinthians or in Galatians or what have you that seem contradictory to other passages of Scripture. And I say, well, hold on. Let's, Let's stop right there. Paul was a Christian. His audience was a Christian. They're never going to say anything that contradicts the gospel. I'm not going to write a letter to the church that says something that would contradict anything Jesus said. And so if that is ever a question of interpretation, you can throw that out the window. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. And so there's there's this level that we kind of have to have an understanding. And so, as we start our study of the New Testament, where else do we begin than with the Gospels? So, we mentioned... Uh, the four written accounts of the life ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. You may have heard Matthew, Mark, and Luke called the synoptics. Uh, this just means they see together. Matthew, Mark, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke follow a similar pattern. They follow similar perspectives. They kind of talk about Jesus in somewhat of a similar way. And we'll talk about what I mean by that later. Uh, but John takes a different perspective, very intentionally. Uh, John talks, his, he selects very specific scenes from Jesus' life. We looked at... The length of them, Matthew and Luke, are both really long. Mark is very quick. Maybe he, maybe Mark is the gospel to the impatient. I'm not sure. But John says, you know, I, I know these accounts have been written. He says, I, I want to write an account where, in, rather than just saying as much as he knows about Jesus, we can tell that John selects very specific events, and each one of those events is very detailed, and it has great weight, and it has great meaning. And if you read... About the, the seven signs, essentially, is the way it's done. The seven signs that Jesus did, they each tell you a, a different perspective, or they share a different aspect of who Jesus was. And we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to John. Um, we'll read a couple a couple verses, because I want us to know, you know, who well, who are these people? Who was Matthew? Who was Mark? Who was Luke? And so we'll have a, a couple verses I want us to look at. We'll start with... Maybe this is the first of my notes. We'll start with Mark. Turn to Acts chapter 12. That. Very small. Hmm. And if someone gets there before I do. Someone read for us Acts chapter 12, verse 12. Okay. So since we're only reading one verse, I'll kind of throw us in some extra context here. Uh, Peter was rescued. He's coming back to the church, and Peter comes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. And you may say, well, why on earth do these people all have three names? Well, uh, I'm going to wager most of us in here probably have three names for starters. But actually, it was very common at that time for the people in this land to have their Hebrew name and to have a Greek name. We won't dive off too much of the linguistics behind all that. Uh, But Mark is probably the same, very likely the same John Mark who is mentioned as a companion of Peter, sometimes with Paul, but he's mostly affiliated with Peter. Um, He's mentioned here in verse 12. He's mentioned a little bit further down in verse 25. When that chapter concludes, it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem... When they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And he gets mentioned also in Acts 15. Just as Acts talks about the, the missionary adventures of Peter and Paul and some of the apostles in the early church. Mark actually gets mentioned, if you've heard of this, this conflict between Paul and Barnabas that happens at the end of Acts 15. Uh, the three names are mentioned uh, John, Mark, Barnabas, and Paul, and there's this disagreement over who should be taken with them on what, and so they decide to go their separate ways. But very likely, Mark, who wrote the gospel according to Mark, is the same John Mark who is this traveling companion with Peter and Paul, and this would have certainly uh, influenced and inspired some of, his, some of his writing, his perspective on Jesus. His mother, Mary, was Barnabas' sister, making him Barnabas' sister. Well, fun fact well, and you remind me I didn't even say, say this but I say that in Acts chapter 12 because Peter is rescued really from imprisonment kind of chasing fearing death and he flees to this this family's house and so I think that tells us that uh, Peter and this man John Mark are very close um, if I'm just out of jail there's a very short list of people whose house I'm going to just so y'all know <laughs> if, you're, right? if you're just escaping uh, threats of the authorities You're probably going to someone who you trust very closely and you know very well. And then we have Matthew slash Levi. We'll flip over to the the calling of Matthew in Matthew. I'll go ahead and read this section for us. This is from Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. As Jesus reclined at the table, Behold, many tax collectors and sinners uh, came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And some say sinners to repentance. So Jesus calls Matthew. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector. Hebrew again. Hebrew name Levi. Greek name Matthew. Same person. As you've probably heard before, tax collectors were not well-liked individuals. Um, Much like none of us probably take much joy writing a check to the government come April 4th, uh, tax collectors had to go door to door. They more specifically, they sat at a booth and you had to come to them. And you had to give them money. This meant they paid themselves out of what you gave them, which means sometimes they could charge more, and they often did. They were just not well liked people. They were not well respected. There was no; they didn't get praise in their honor in the Roman Empire. Nobody liked tax collectors. Everybody just kind of assumed they were corrupt. And so, when Jesus is associating with these, uh, a tax collector kind of had become synonymous, almost. And I say this jokingly, not. To upset anybody who might be in car sales. If you've ever heard the expression "a used car salesman, you probably don't immediately think of the most honest person you know. I know plenty, I know, I used to go to church with plenty of men who owned used car lots, and they were great people. But, if I'm just using the expression of used car salesman, you're probably not thinking of the most ethical person in town. Kind of the way they do tax collectors. And so they're saying to Jesus, you know, why are you dealing with these people who are corrupt? And Jesus is saying, well, I'm... He's no, just not viewing him by his office or his job or what he does in that booth, and he's called him to, to follow him. And aside from that, he says it's not the, the righteous or the healthy who need the physician, it's the sick. And so he, he quotes that line from Hosea that we read earlier. <clears throat> so Matthew, a tax collector, called by Jesus as one of the twelve, uh, the only one of the authors of this, well, Matthew and John were each one of the, the twelve, part of that, um, twelve disciples. Mark John Mark was a traveling companion of Peter, went on many of these missionary journeys, probably went with them, traveling place to place to all these churches. And then we have Luke. Luke was likely a physician. Uh, we know this because of the descriptions of him, but also because of his perspective on certain events. He was very educated. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned that Matthew, we can tell by the way Matthew is written, that Matthew has a great appreciation for the Old Testament, a great appreciation for uh, just the language of Hebrew. Well, in the same way, Luke has a, a, a very strong grasp on Greek. He was very educated. He has a good descriptor of a lot of certain events, and so we understand him to be a physician. And Luke was almost certainly the same Luke who was a travel companion of Paul. Someone read for us Colossians four fourteen, and I am going to flip to Philemon and read a section of that. But someone, someone read for us Colossians four fourteen. Luke, the beloved physician in Domus There you go. Now we know why he was viewed as a physician. So as you may or may not know from studying, Paul always likes to conclude and reference people and give you little shout outs. And he gives one to Luke, who references his travel companion. And So if someone finds this, please um, jump to Philemon 23 and 25. Because for some reason, my pages are sticking together. We'll do this right here. From Philemon, verse 23. Again, just the closing lines of the letter. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so, uh, again, Mark, John Mark is mentioned, and then also Luke and the same guy, Demas, so Luke, travel companion of Paul, again, just looking at the, the big picture of Scripture, Paul is often called, he calls himself many times, the, the minister or the apostle to the Gentiles. And he says that in the introduction to one of his letters, he says, you know, I was called out of line, like uh, one untimely born. And he says that because Paul has Jesus revealed to him in a way that the other twelve do not, right? Paul did not meet Jesus in person and travel with him during his ministry, Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he says, uh, you know, Lord, Lord, why are you perse... He says, why are you perse... Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul calls him Lord, and he has this interaction. He he even describes in some of his letters of being taken up and being kind of given this vision of of heaven, being given this, this heavenly knowledge of who Jesus was, maybe a full revelation of what was going on, we're not sure. But Paul talks about meeting Jesus and being called by Jesus... And he describes himself as a minister to the Gentiles. And we see this in Acts, where he goes to the Jews and the Jews reject him. So he as often goes to the Gentiles. I say that because, for many reasons, Luke's gospel, Luke, traveling companion of Paul, also viewed as the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, we'll see this, that Luke also writes heavily to the outcasts. Luke features more women in Jesus' ministry than any other gospel. Uh, Luke is the, uh, I think I would call it the gospel to the outcasts in all forms. That's the, the, the poor, the women, and the Gentiles. And that's no offense to women and Gentiles, but if you were a Jewish man, you were seen as the religious audience at the time. Matthew kind of writes the letter. Matthew uses the Old Testament. He uses the language of the Hebrew. He uses all of that stuff from the Old Testament very heavily. Luke writes this gospel to the outcast, to the people that the Jews might have traditionally neglected. Luke is the one that gives us all these stories about, for example, uh, the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan man no on the other gospel has that. A lot of Luke's unique material pertains to that, that outcast crowd that would have been traditionally ignored by the Jews. Meanwhile, Matthew is very, very heavy in kingdom language. Uh, when we, on our Sunday morning kind of worship, when we first started preaching out of the Sermon on the Mount, I mentioned. Matthew 4.17, where Jesus says, Repent, the kingdom is at hand. Matthew is loaded with kingdom language. Why? Because the Old Testament is loaded with kingdom language. So questions, comments, thoughts so far? I know I'm probably throwing a lot of information at you. <coughs> Let me see where I'm at on some of my slides here. I apologize. I think that is probably way too small to be useful. I'm going to have to fix that next week, but. So Matthew, the tax collector, uh, Mark, the traveling companion of Peter, Luke, the physician, the traveling companion of Paul, and then John describes himself, I joke I'm a fan about this, but John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he does this a couple of different times throughout his book. But someone read for us the, just the last couple of lines of John 21. Verse 24 and 25. John chapter 21, verse 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room books that would be written so i love this line i love that i love the way he ends his gospel i like just that that claim that if if i wrote down everything jesus did I suppose the whole world could contain the books that would be written in chapter 20 i'll read from chapter 20 verse 30 because I told you John tells us we kind of guess from looking at the language and looking at the, the way they talk about Jesus, we can understand what the purpose of Matthew and the purpose of Mark and the purpose of Luke is. Um, I told you John tells us explicitly his purpose. This is from John chapter 20, uh, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John seems to be implying, he says, I know there's books that have events about Jesus' life that I didn't include. That, that, Jesus did a lot of other stuff too. But he said, I, I've chosen these because I, want, I have given you enough so that if you read my account, you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, which means the Messiah, the anointed one of God. He is the Son of God, so he is divine. He had divine power when he was here on earth. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. John uses this expression a lot, that you may have life and have it more abundantly, that you may have everlasting life, of course, famously from John 3.16. And so John says, uh, I believe you will have, if you read my account of Jesus, not only will you know who he was, but I believe you will have a better life, both on this earth and the next, for having read about this person, Jesus, the Son of God. Questions, comments, thoughts on the gospel so far? Next week we'll dive into uh, some of the major themes of Matthew. We'll talk about what it means for Matthew to be as a, a new Moses. And what are the events are that uh, talk about that. We'll talk about that kingdom of heaven language. And then how, how the Gentiles fit into the Matthew's Gospel. And then we'll talk about Luke. We'll, we'll spend most of our time talking about Matthew and Luke. Because if you've ever noticed, uh, Matthew and Luke spend most of their time talking about Jesus compared to Mark. Mark is pretty short. Um, there's not a lot of things in Mark that are not in the other two. So we'll talk mostly about Matthew and Luke. Um, this kind of, I, I want to kind of say this, and I encourage you to ask questions if you have any, because this is probably the kind of stuff that I could talk about for days and days on end. And I imagine my tolerance for talking is much higher than your tolerance for listening. So I'll try to talk about the stuff you want to hear, answer the questions you have, and emphasize the stuff that you uh, are interested in. So, like I said, I strongly encourage you to ask questions uh, either directly in class or in that little drop box. But just because I don't want to start another topic that we can't finish, we'll probably put a pin in that for now if there's no other questions or comments for today. Ah, Well, I guess just in time. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I'm going to put these handouts for Job in the back.